You are listening to the Overflow Podcast, a ministry of First Denton. For more information on Overflow, please visit overflowdenton.org. How are we doing? It's almost finals time. Mm. Well, hey, we started this series last week called Dim. And so uh, before we jump into tonight's text, I want to kind of do a quick uh, recap to get us ready for tonight. Uh, last week, week one, what we saw, we opened up to Matthew chapter 5, verses 14 to 16. And we saw that Jesus calls us what? Oh, man, I'm glad y'all were listening last week. He calls us the light of the world. He says, you are the light of the world. And, and what we saw is the world is a dark place. Like when you consider the spiritual condition of the world, what this verse alludes to or implies is that the world is a dark place. And we are the light of the world. In other words, our role is to be this light, to expose the truth, point people to the truth, uh, reveal what's hidden in the darkness, be a point of reference for people to know the direction they should go if they want the truth, if they want life, if they want Jesus, if they want salvation. Jesus says, let your light shine before others. That verse 16, he says, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who's in heaven. And what we see in that, the focusing on the word let, uh, emphasis on the word let, one of like our role in leading people to Christ might be more about, as we saw last week, intentionality more than anything else. Like there's this intentional aspect of sharing the gospel, making sure that we are thinking about it and, and actually pursuing people to share the gospel with. And, and the whole idea of dim, the, the name dim comes from the fact that our campus and our world is dim. It's dim because there's not a lot of light. However, that can change, and we're believing that it will change. And so tonight, you know, last week was more so the why we need to share the gospel. Um, tonight is going to be a lot more about how we share the gospel, and we're going to look at uh, Luke chapter 5. And as you're turning there, we're going to be Luke, Luke chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. As you're turning there, I'm going to go and kind of read verse 1, um, even though you're not there yet, because I want to kind of have a little side note moment before we dig in. But Luke chapter 5, verse 1, it says this, On one occasion... While the crowd was pressing in on him, him being Jesus, while the crowd was pressing in on Jesus to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. Now, I love this. And if, if you're a first time person here tonight, or if you're still trying to figure all this out, you're not sure if you really believe in Jesus, you're not sure if you believe in God at all, maybe you do believe in God, but you just don't know if you believe in Jesus yet, like that's totally cool. I'm not talking to you in this moment. I'm talking to the believers in the room. Those of you who call yourself a Christian, you need to hear what's happening here. Verse 1, it says, it says uh, pressing in on him to hear the word of God. Like these people, that word pressing, it means to force your way through to the front. These people were forcing their way through to the front so that they could hear Jesus. They had this urgent desire to hear the word of God. Now, like they were changing their posture, they were shifting their position so that they could hear what Jesus was saying. Now we have to understand this again in the context of their situation. This was written 2,000 years ago. And 2,000 years ago, they didn't have microphones. And so they didn't have the ability to just sit back and listen to what Jesus was saying from a distance. They had to push to the front because Jesus might not have been yelling. He might have just been talking like this. And so they had to scoot closer so that they could hear him. But either way, they didn't have the ability, they didn't have the amenity that we have of a microphone and a sound system. But they also didn't have God's word like we have God's word today. This is huge. They didn't have this. Printing press wasn't built to like the 1500s. This is long before that. And they didn't have, you know, iPhones with 18 billion different translations and languages of the Bible on their iPhone accessible to them. And so they couldn't just pick up the Bible and read it for themselves. For them to hear God's word, they had to actually go to somebody who had access to God's word, and then they had to go to somebody who knew how to read God's word. And so this is why that they're pressing in to hear Jesus share God's word. And I share all that to say this, even though we have all of these amenities, we've got the speakers, we've got the microphones, we've got plenty of access to the Bible, even though we have all these amenities and all these luxuries, to the Christians in the room, somehow I feel like we're less responsive, less attentive, less convicted by, and even less aware of what God's word is saying to us. And how I pray that God would reawaken or restore this, this pressing, urgent desire into us that they had back then 
to hear God's word and to know God like they did, like they wanted to. But you look at verse 1, Luke chapter 5, verse 1. It says, on one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on Jesus to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, and he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. So they, they're done fishing. They just finished fishing. Now they're cleaning their nets. Verse 3, getting into one of the boats. So Jesus just gets into one of the boats. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's. This is also Peter. Getting into Peter's boat, he asked him to put out a little from the land. And so he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, or Peter, he said, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we have toiled all night and we took nothing. But at your word, I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish and their nets were breaking. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats to the point that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon Peter. And Jesus said to Peter, Don't be afraid. From now on, you'll be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed Jesus. Now this is crazy. Like I know this is a story that you've probably heard before, but when you really stop and you think about what's happening here, this is nuts. Like these guys, Peter, James, John, especially Peter, like they had no clue what was about to happen. All the, I mean, you think about what happens just in the few verses we read. So these guys, they've just fished all night long, had no success, caught nothing. They're exhausted. They're tired. They're back on the shore, cleaning their nets, out of their boats. And then this dude walks up. And, and before they know it, they're going from having their worst night of fishing maybe ever in their life, going quickly to having the best day of fishing at the worst time of day to fish that they've ever had in history, in life, ever again in their career. And then before you know it, after this successful catch of fish, they're now leaving their career of fishing, leaving all the fish behind that they've caught. And now they're following this man that they hardly know, but now they believe is God. That escalated really quickly. I mean, in, in any other normal circumstance, under any other normal circumstance, like any of you who fish or any of you who heard somebody talk about their fishing experiences before, you know that if these guys have this incredible fishing outing, catch all of these fish to the point to where their nets are breaking, their boats are sinking, like afterwards, after they catch their breath and get back to the banks, they're, gonna be, they're not just going like to move on to the next thing. They're going to stop. They're going to be like taking photos with the fish, or I guess back then they didn't have that, so have somebody sketch a photo of them with their fish. And then they're going to be like sitting around telling everybody this story like, dude, so we went out fishing the night before. Man, we caught nothing. Like we caught nothing. Then this guy, this dude just gets on our boat and he says, hey, uh, can I get in your boat? And we're like, yeah, sure, I guess. This is weird, but sure, get in our boat. And he says, hey, go, go out deeper. And we're like, no. And he's like, go out deeper. And so we go out deeper because we're freaked out. And he tells us, hey, take your nets and throw them out. We're in the middle of the lake, dog. Like, and, and you don't catch fish out in the middle of the lake. You don't catch fish at noon because that's probably when this took place. You don't catch fish in these circumstances. And yet we throw out our nets. And before you know it, there's like fish coming from everywhere, filling our nets. And Peter's like, bro, I, like, I'm trying to pull these fish in. My nets are breaking. So I yell at James and John and Harold get over here and they pull their boat over here and they they throw their net in now they're trying to help me and we start pulling all these fish into our boat and like our boats start sinking it was the craziest thing ever and everybody's like yeah right man that didn't happen because you know everybody embellishes their fish that they caught like I caught a five pound five pound I caught that's what they do I caught a five it's, I caught a 50 pound fish and it's like a two and a half pound perch or whatever but everybody embellishes that's what they would have done though they I mean there's no way there's no way that they would not have at least like stopped and taken time and taken time to like tell everybody the crazy thing that happened. But the thing is, they didn't have time to do that. They didn't have time to do that because as soon as they got back to the bank, immediately he said, Jesus says, from now on, you're going to be catching men. So here's what he says. He says, listen, everything that just happened has nothing to do with all of those fish that you just caught. 
He says, everything that just happened has nothing to do with me trying to help you out because you just had a really humbling night of catching no fish. This has to do with this statement right here. From now on, you're going to be catching men. In Matthew chapter 4, verse 19, another place part of this story is recorded. It's recorded that Jesus said, and from now on, I'm going to make you fishers of men. Some of you girls are like, yeah, tell me about that. That's not what he's talking about. He says, what I just showed you was not a lesson on how to fish. It was a lesson on how to catch men. That wasn't a fishing lesson, he says. That was a a lesson on how to share the gospel. That was an evangelism lesson. Now, if you go back to verse 4, because this is where he tells them what to do. Like, this is the lesson. If you go back to verse 4 and you listen to what Jesus says, like, that's terrible fishing advice. But that's exactly the strategy that we should have when we're trying to reach people when we're trying to share the gospel with people like if you were to listen to what Jesus says hey put out uh, into the deep and uh, or put out and go into the deep and then and then drop your nets there uh, to catch some fish uh, which this happens based on the evidence in the text this probably happened around noon if you know anything about fishing uh, fishing around noon and in the deepest part of your body of water that's just not good fishing like if you will go to Lake Ray Roberts tomorrow uh, and you do this, like you're not going to catch any fish. If you go to the deepest part uh, at noon, and especially tomorrow, because it's really crazy cold outside, all the fish are going to be at the bottom of the lake, huddled up like sardines, shivering, and just waiting for some innocent worm to come by and suck it up and eat it, instead of chasing after bait. You're not going to have any success. But we need to do exactly what Jesus says in verse 4 if we want to be effective in reaching people with the gospel. And so look at verse 4. He says this, it said, when, when Jesus had finished speaking, he said to Simon, again, that's Peter, he said to Peter, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. He says, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. Now, in other translations, uh, New King James, I think, and the King James Version, um, it says launch out, which I actually like that translation better because I think it captures more what Jesus is trying to get us to see here. He says, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. So what does it mean to launch out? Like, what does it mean when Jesus says we should launch out? Thinking about this now in the context of sharing the gospel, what does it mean launch out? Like, it might help to start by answering the question what it doesn't mean. Like, what it doesn't mean is, like, I don't know. I didn't think about this ahead of time. Uh, Laying down, you know? What it doesn't mean, like, this is not, this is not launching out. This right here, not launching out. Uh, This right here is not launching out. So what does it mean to launch out? What does it mean? Okay, look, this is, this is what it means to launch out. I don't know if you can hear me right now, but last week, what we saw last week is Jesus says, you are, I don't know, I'm asking what, I can't hear you. You are the light of the world. And what we to launch out is to leave. It's to leave. And I think a lot of as if it says to launch out, but we live out this statement as if it says to stay in. And, and that's not what it says. And this isn't the only time that Jesus said to launch out. Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 to 20, he says, go or launch. He says, go or launch out into all the world and share the gospel with all creation. In Acts chapter one, verse eight, he says, he says, but you'll receive power. When the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses, you will launch out into Jerusalem and all the and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. I forgot my jacket. Uh, it's cold out there. Where's my jacket at? No, I'm, not, I'm, I'm, I'm staying here. Uh, this is what it means to launch out, to leave. Could y'all hear me back then? You really couldn't? Oh, shoot. <laughs> to launch out is to leave. 
To launch out is to leave. Oh my gosh. And last week we saw that Jesus says, you're the light of the what? The world. Did you hear that part earlier? Okay, you're the light of the world. And uh, the cleaning people were looking at me like, you are the light of the world. And what we saw last week is the world is not in here. The world is outside these walls. And the thing is, is I think a lot of times we read this as if it says launch out, but we live this as if it says stay in. And this isn't the first time that Jesus has said, launch out. Matthew 28, 19 to 20, what does it say? It says, go, yes, launch out and make disciples of all nations. Mark 16, 15 says, go or launch out and, and share the gospel with all of creation. Acts 1, 8 says, but you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you'll be my witnesses. You will launch out into Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. No joke, like two years ago, three years ago, I'm, I'm preaching at Overflow, and uh, a, a guy sitting, I don't remember, he was sitting over in this area, and uh, I'm preaching, I don't remember what I was teaching on. In the middle of the sermon, he gets up, and he sprints out, like busts through those doors and leaves, and like doesn't come back. And the only thing I'm thinking was first, he wasn't like running like this, uh, so I'm just thinking, okay, it wasn't the bathroom, maybe he just had to throw up, I'm glad he didn't throw up in here. That's what my thought was. But he never came back, and so I'm like, what in the world just happened? We just kept on going. And uh, like two weeks later, I see this guy. I was like, dude, what happened? And he was like, honestly, I was so convicted that I just left. And I ran to UNT and started sharing the gospel with people. That is kind of extreme, but that is, that's launching out. Jesus wants you to launch out, not sit still, not drag your feet, not sit there and consider, you know, the command that he's given you. He doesn't want that. He doesn't want you to twiddle your thumbs. He wants you to launch out. But that's not all he says. He says launch out or put out into the deep. Now, now first consider this. Consider where they are. They're on Lake Gennesaret, which is another name for the Sea of Galilee or the Sea of Tiberias. And so the Sea of Galilee was about 64 square miles as far as size. And at the peak times of year in the deepest parts of, of the sea, it, it gets to about 140 feet deep. Which, that's deep, but that's not that deep. Um, but knowing, knowing what, what, what Jesus said, knowing what these guys have just been through, what do you think they're thinking as Jesus says, launch out into the deep, put out into the deep? Like, they're probably thinking, seriously, Jesus? Like, we've been working all night long, haven't slept, we're exhausted, uh, why are you having us launch out into the deep? Or they might have been thinking, seriously, Jesus, like, it's noon, and you don't fish out in the middle of the lake. Or they might have been thinking, seriously, Jesus, like, I'm going to be honest, like, the deep area, it's a little bit scary. Are you sure you want to go out there? Like, you know how it is. I mean, when you're a little kid, the deep end is like the scariest thing in the world of the pool because your parents, they tell you, stay away from the deep end. But they don't tell you why. Like, you don't understand that's because you can't swim or you can't swim good. So they just say, hey, I need you to stay away from the deep end. It's, it's just stay away. And like, so you're like, okay, I'll stay away. I wonder how I'm supposed to stay away. And so like, you're hanging out with your four-year-old, five-year-old friends, six-year-old friends, and you're like, yeah, have you been near the deep end? They're like, no, I haven't been near the deep end. Why are we not supposed to go by the deep end? And everybody's like speculating, you know, like this four, five, six-year-old conversation. Like, yeah, dude, I hear there's sharks down there. Or you're like, no, it's, it's um, your five-year-old friend says, no, 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 it's flesh-eating bacteria. That's why they don't want us in there. And the other kid's like, no, so crazy thing. Next time you walk by the deep end, look down, and you'll see this little hole at the bottom. And I'm telling you, man, at the wrong, if you get... If you get too close to it, it's going to suck you right in, and you're going to disappear, and you'll be dead for life. I guess if you're dead, you're dead, not dead for life. Or dead for <laughs> Anyway, so like, maybe they were thinking it's scary out there, but consider the deepest part of the ocean. Uh, what's it called? The, the Mariana Trench? Mariana? Marinara? <laughs> Trench? You know how deep that place is? It's, it's like off the coast far off the coast of Japan, Taiwan, that area. It's 36,000 feet deep. Now, let's put this in perspective. So like Shamu, orca whales, is that what kind of the killer whales, whatever. So Shamu, like he, the, typically the deepest he or she, whatever it is, goes is about 300 feet deep in the ocean. Like the record for a Shamu whale to go, an orca whale, I don't know why I'm calling it Shampoo. Uh, it, the, the, the deepest on record based on research is 900 feet deep in the ocean. Okay, but the, the Mariana Trench, Mariana Trench, I don't even know how to say it, is 36,000 feet deep. The deepest swimming whales 
are sperm whales and this other weird name whale, like, like something beaked whale. And at their peak, like at their best depth, like if they're having a diving contest, the, the farthest they can go is 9,000 feet. But we're talking there is a trench in the earth, 36,000 feet, tallest building in the world, 2,700 feet. It's in the United Arab Emirates. Uh, Denver, Mile High City. How tall or how high above sea level is Denver? Yes. You got that right. I'm just seeing if you're paying, because that's an easy answer. And I'm just seeing if you're listening. A mile high, what is that, like 5,200 and something feet? But we're talking about 36,000 feet in the ocean the other direction. Tallest point on planet Earth. What is it? Mount Everest, 29,000 feet. But we're not talking 29,000 feet. We're talking 36,000 feet. If you've ever been in a commercial airline, typically they fly around 30,000 to 35,000 feet. Now that puts into perspective how deep we're talking because think about the last time you were in an airplane up that high, looking out the window at the ground, thinking, holy smokes, that is really far away. We're not talking 30 to 35,000 feet though. We're talking 36,000 feet down into the ocean. Now, what happens the deeper you go? Okay, so apparently there's more than one thing that happens. Yes, pressure. Uh, I think it gets colder, whatever. The deeper you go, the darker it gets. In fact, once you go below 3,300-ish feet in the ocean, there is no light that exists. Actually, that's a false statement because the little critters that live down there, they actually, some of them produce their own light, but that totally destroys my illustration. So there's no light that exists 3,000 feet into the depths of the ocean. And what I mean by that is the sun and the light that's produced from that, it does not make it that deep. Now let me ask you this question. Why do you think Jesus says, launch out into the deep? Let me tell you this. I think it's the same reason that he tells us last week that you're the light of the world. I think it's the same reason that he says in Matthew 5, 16, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Essentially, when he says, launch out into the deep, he's saying, take your light into the dark. And actually, an even better translation is, he's saying, take your light into the darkest places of the world. Now, let me ask you this question. What are the darkest places of the world? You remember last week we were talking about how this right here, this picture, is a picture of the spiritual condition of our world because our world is in need of Jesus. And we also saw how really when the light is off, this is the spiritual condition of your heart prior to an encounter with Jesus. So considering those facts and understanding the, the, the picture that Jesus created for us last week in Matthew 5, what are the darkest places of the world? I've, I've, got a, I've got a map I want to show you. This is a map that's produced by the IMB, the International Mission Board. And, uh, and on this, if you're up really close to it, you see a bunch of dots. And there's different colored dots. There's green dots, yellow dots, orange dots, red dots, dark red dots, dark green dots, and so on. And, and I want to show you what they mean. Like the, the greener it is, um, then the more people who know Jesus. The redder it is, the less people know Jesus. In fact, the red dots represent the unreached people groups in the world. And, and I'll tell you what, can y'all remove all of the other dots except the red dots? So those red dots right there, those are all unreached people groups on planet Earth. And what I mean by that, I've explained this before, is less than 2% of the population of those people know Jesus. These right here that you are looking at are among the darkest places in the world. And if you get up closer to the map, it's kind of hard to see far away, but these places exist all over the planet, but you can definitely see where they are thicker and more dense. The area in which it's the most dense is called the 1040 window. It stretches from West Africa, basically North Africa and Central Africa, uh, starting in West Africa, all the way across um, the Middle East and, and uh, Central Asia and South Asia and Southeast Asia. That's the 1040 window. That is the darkest place on planet Earth. Now, 
if, if y'all could put the slide up that shows all the unreached, unengaged people groups in the world, these are even darker places. These are the places that are not only unreached, these are unengaged places in the world. And what that means is not only is less than 2% of their population Christians, which think about that, less than 2%. And in many cases, it's not 2% or 1.9%, it's like 0.0001% of the population is Christian. Not only is that true about these dots that are left, but these are unengaged people groups, which means there is currently no church planting or mission strategy or strategy of any sort to try and reach the people in these places with the gospel. So these are people that don't know about Jesus. Many of them literally have never heard anything about Jesus. If you said, do you know who Jesus Christ is? They would look at you and be like, I have no idea what you're talking about. Not only do they not know who Jesus Christ is, but nobody is trying to tell them who Jesus Christ is right now. These are among the darkest places in the world. But what about your campus? What are the darkest places on your campus? You know, I used to, I I played sports in college, and I know that oftentimes the sports teams on our college campuses are among the darkest places on our campus. I was in a fraternity in college, and I know that oftentimes, not all the time, but oftentimes, fraternities and sororities are among the darkest places on our campuses. But it's not just sports teams and frats and sororities. It's, there's other student organizations that represent some of the darkest places on our campus. There's other groups of people that maybe don't have a, uh, an official identity that are among the darkest places on your campus. There's individuals scattered about that would be considered among the darkest places on your campus. That's my question. What are the darkest places on your campus? And essentially what Jesus says is, he says, launch into the deep. And what he's saying is, take your light into the darkest places of the world. But here's the problem. The problem is most church growth right now isn't happening from new Christians coming in and joining the church. Like if you look across the United States, I'm talking specifically the United States, even more specifically the south part of the United States. Most of church growth is not from new believers coming and joining the church, like people coming to know Christ and joining the church. It's from church transfer. What I, mean, what I mean is there's people leaving this church over here to come to this church over here, or multiple people leaving these churches to all come to this one church. And the reason for that is because we're not launching out into the deep. Instead, we're fishing around the banks. We'd rather fish, and I, I, I have that with quotes around it. We'd rather, quote-unquote, fish where it's easier to fish. But to be honest with you, catching fish that have already been caught is not fishing at all. Like, you wouldn't go into PetSmart with your fishing pole, fishing line, a little bobber, and a small hook, and a little piece of bait, and, and open up one of their you know, little fish tanks and throw your line in there and wait to catch a fish, and then be like super crazy excited that you just caught a fish and go telling people that you went fishing. No, first of all, because you'd be in jail, but second of all, nobody does that. That's not fishing, yet that's exactly what most churches, many churches are doing, and that's what many churches are working at being good at. We focus so hard on trying to lure in other Christians so that we can be the biggest, most awesome church instead of learning and working to catch fish that haven't already been caught. And and see, here's the thing. That's the typical evangelism strategy. But the thing is, that's not evangelism at all. Instead of learning to share the gospel, we're trying really hard to be cool. Instead of Launching out into the deep, we are staying in and we're fishing around the banks. And the gospel's not having the dramatic effect that it's capable of having because we're not taking it out into the deep waters. The gospel's not having the dramatic effect that it is capable of having because we're not taking it into the darkest places. You know, you think back to last, or just a few moments ago, like you look at this light bulb right now, and, and in this room, unless you're like staring right at it, you just don't really see the power or experience the power of the light bulb, do you? It's kind of drowned out by the other lights. It's not until you turn out the lights that you really get to experience. In fact, turn out the lights for a second. It's not until you turn out the lights. I threw him for a curveball here. It's not until you turn out the lights 
that like you actually get to see and experience the power. Don't, don't worry about it anymore. Uh, that, you, that you actually get to see and experience the power of the lights. All it takes is a few believers to be brave enough to launch out into the deep. All it takes is a few believers to be brave enough to do what God says, to go where it's dark, and people will then begin to see the power of our God. The power of the gospel. When you stick a a little light like this, a, a small light in a big room, remember what we said last week? A small light in a big room makes a huge difference. A small light in a big world makes a huge difference. A small light on a big campus makes a huge difference. But the reason it's not making that huge difference, having that big impact, is because we're not going to where it's dark. And Jesus says, launch out into the deep. But he doesn't stop with that. You go on, verse 4, he says, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. So it's one thing to go there. It's something altogether different to actually cast out your nets, drop out your nets for a catch. Nets is a tool for catching fish. In the same way, the gospel is a tool for catching people, reaching people. So it's one thing to go there. It's one thing to launch out into the deep. It's a, it's a whole other thing to launch out into the deep. And then when you get there, to actually open your mouth and actually share the gospel. So here's the challenge. Very clear. If you're writing stuff down, you want to write this down. This is the challenge of the night. I'm challenging you to launch out into the deepest, darkest places of your campus. Not in this unknown future, but tomorrow. I'm challenging you to launch out into the deepest, darkest parts of your campus and not just go there, but then to drop the nets. I'm challenging you to go into the deepest, darkest parts of your campus and to share the gospel. Take your light into the dark. Let it shine, not in the near future, not, not in the unknown future, but tomorrow. It's, it's, it's one thing. It's one thing to go on campus and like try to serve college students by maybe handing them water, you know, on a hot day, which, or let's do uh, hot cocoa since it's cold out. So it's one thing, like tomorrow, if you would be like, I'm going to try to serve some students, and I'm going to get some hot chocolate, and I'm going to take it to campus and give it to people, give them something warm to drink as they're walking across the frigid campus tundra. Like, it's one thing to do that. It's a completely different thing to hand them that hot chocolate and then try to engage them in a conversation and share the gospel with them. Like, we have a community, and I love that they're doing this. We have a community that has been uh, uh, making waffles and going out on campus, I believe at UNT. They've been going out on campus and, and late at night, I think, when students are studying and, I mean, meeting a legitimate physical need of students. Like, they're studying, they're hungry, and of all things, we're hungry for waffles. And so they meeting this genuine need, 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 what in the world? Uh, this genuine need, desire, need, desire, anyways. Uh, they're meeting this genuine need and desire of the college student. But it's one thing, listen, to hand them a waffle. It's another thing to try to, after you hand them the waffle, tell them about the same God who has saved you. Totally other thing. It's, 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 it's one thing to go, to launch out into the deep. It's another thing altogether to actually drop down your nets. Now, I know some of, some of you are thinking as I say that, ho, 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 ho. Some of you are like, now hold up, slow your roll. Like, I don't know about this. And, and let me tell you something. This is what I love about the Bible. This is what I love about Scripture. Peter said the same thing. You look at what he says in verse 5. So Jesus says, launch out into the deep, let down your nets for a catch. And Peter answered, Master, look, man, we toiled all night and we took nothing. Like, I've been fishing all night and I haven't caught anything. Can I just say this? I think, sadly, this right here is the anthem of so many churches and so many individual Christians. We've tried We didn't catch anything, so we're giving up. Jesus has has just said to Peter, launch out into the deep and let your nets down for a catch. Jesus is saying to us over and over in Scripture, launch out into the deep 
and, and, and let your nets down for a catch. And think of all of the excuses we could come up with. I mean, just like Peter, he's like, look, we've been fishing all night. We didn't catch anything. I'm too tired. I'm exhausted. I don't have time. And I've already tried. I mean, it didn't work. I am totally scared of the deep. Or, 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 or what if they get ticked off? What if I offend them? What if I scare them away? But listen to me. Of all the things that we can take from this text, this might be the number one thing. The number one thing that we absolutely must learn when it comes to sharing the gospel, and that's this. Stop making excuses and just do what God's telling you to do. I mean, Peter, you see the real authentic response of him, but that's not where he stops. He says, Jesus, he says, Master, we have been fishing all night and to no avail. We caught nothing, but that's not where he stops. He actually says, but, he says, but at your word, I will let down the nets. How much different would your campus be? How much different would our world be if, if we didn't just have verse 5, part A in our response, but we had verse 5, part A and B. Honestly, Lord, I'm exhausted, but at your word, if this is what you're telling me to do, I'll go. Honestly, God, I, am, I, I don't have time. I got finals coming up. You know about finals. But at your word, I'll go. Or, or Jesus, I am freaking out here. Or, or Jesus, I, I'm, I'm kind of nervous that, that going there, like I might scare them away. Like I'm, I'm kind of nervous that if I hand them the waffle and then say, hey man, so where are you from? Cool, cool, cool. Talk for a little bit and then say, well, sweet, so what do you know about Jesus? Like I'm, I'm kind of scared that when I make that turning question that I'm going to scare them away or they're going to get offended and throw the waffle on the ground. I threw it on the ground and walk away. But at your word, because you told me to do it, I'll, I'll, I'll go. Think about how much different your campus, think about how much different our world would be. And look at the result of Peter's response. Verses 6 and 7, it says, And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. So they start catching so many fish that their nets are breaking and their boats were sinking. So when I was in college, I've already told you I liked to fish, or I learned to fish in college, fell in love with fishing in college. By my senior year, I was fishing all the time. Main reason was because uh, one of my professors, Dr. Eubanks, he had this property about 10 minutes from campus, and he had this like multi-acre body of water with some great largemouth bass on there. And I found out that he had this, and uh, he had this aluminum, you know, uh, flat-bottom boat. And so I kind of made friends with him and was like, hey, you know, could I come fish sometime? And he's like, yeah, sure, come fish sometime. And then, like, two days later, I was like, hey, man, so, you know, enjoyed it. Can I come back sometime? And he's like, yeah, come back anytime. And he's like, and I was like, cool, I'll see you this afternoon. So I, I go out there, and I'm not kidding. You know, I kind of built this relationship with him to where I was out there four or five times a week uh, fishing, probably totally, anyways, uh, burned that bridge of don't do that in the future. Anyways, so I'm fishing all the time. So I'm, I'm, I was dating this girl uh, as, as well. And so like at one point she was like, hey, hey Austin, I, I want to come, I wanna come uh, fish with you. She's like, I don't want to fish, but I just want to come hang out with you while you fish. And I'm like, yeah, yeah. Oh, my gosh. You're taking away my <laughs> personal time here. Uh, and I was like, yeah, cool. That would be awesome. Um, so she comes out there, and she didn't want to fish, and so she's sitting there, and of course she wants to talk the whole time we're fishing, which, you know, you just don't talk while you're fishing because it scares away the fish. Like, you don't want to spook the fish, and so, you know, I was like, yeah, it's cool. I'm so glad you came this time, but, you know, next time if you come, like, uh, you know, we, we really can't talk because that's why I didn't really catch any fish today, um, and, uh, but, I'd, you know, I'd love for you to, you know, come and, and hang out again. She's like, oh, that's totally cool. I can just bring like some homework next time and I'll just come hang out and do some homework. And I was like, yeah, cool. Uh, and so this next time she brings her backpack. And so she's sitting on the boat. Uh, and again, you know, flat bottom boat here and room for two people, like maybe three, but not room for three to fish, like maybe two people to fish in. And so I'm at the front fishing. She's at the back and she's got her backpack sitting kind of in the bottom part of the boat. And, uh, and at one point she reaches down to grab her backpack. Now pause for a second. All boats have plugs in them. You have to have plugs in the boat because it allows you, when you get it out of the water, when you get it out of the water, 
to take the plug out and drain the water out of the boat. Well, somehow her backpack strap had wrapped around the plug and she didn't know it. So she picks up her backpack backpack, and without knowing it, pulls the plug out of the boat. Now we're in the middle of this body of water in my professor's boat. I don't even think he knew I was there that day. And she had no idea that she had pulled the plug out. So she pulls the plug out and all of a sudden I feel the boat kind of just start, start to tip. And I'm like, what in the world? And I look over and there's water rushing into the back of the boat. And I'm like, oh my gosh, the plug. And she's like, what? And I was like, the plug. And so I'm like diving back there. I'm surprised I didn't both fall out of the boat. And I mean, by God's grace, God is a gracious God, I'm telling you. I reached into this water, which was probably that deep in the back of the boat and filling up quickly. And I reach in, happened like first grab, find the plug and jam it into the, the little plug hole and, and stop it. And she's like, oh, the plug came out. And I was like, yeah, the plug came out. <laughs> we almost sunk this boat in the middle of this lake. And so then we bailed out the rest of the water. Like that's not a good type of sinking. That's not a good type of sinking. And, and to be real with you, I think there's a lot of churches that are sinking like that. The not good type of sinking. Somebody has pulled the plug in their boat. But when you look at chapter 5 of Luke and you see what's happening here, this is not a bad type of sinking. This is an incredibly awesome type of sinking that I hope all of us get to experience being part of one day. You look at this and, and they'd caught so many fish that they couldn't handle them all. This is exactly what God wants to do with his church. This is exactly what God has done with his church. I mean, starting with the book of Acts. You look at Acts, and over and over, in fact, we studied this two years ago in the fall, the pandemic series. You look in Acts, Acts chapter 2, verse 41. First cast for Peter. First time he gets up there and throws his net out, throws his fishing rod out, whatever. And he catches 3,000 people, it says, Acts 2, 41. Just a few verses later, Acts 2, 47, it says, God was adding to their number daily. You get to Acts chapter 4, verse 4, I think, and it says, uh, the number of the, of the people had come to 5,000. That was probably just the men. So we're talking Christians now in just a few days, numbering fifteen to 20,000 people. Acts 5, 14, it says multitudes were added to their number. Acts 6, 7, it stops with the whole uh, addition thing because addition is too slow. Acts, Acts 6, 7, it switches from they were added to their number to they were multiplying in number. That's how fast the church was growing. It was exploding. Their nets were breaking their boats were sinking in a good way. Uh, May 15th, 19, 1957. May 15th, 1957. Uh, Billy Graham, and I don't know how much you know about Billy Graham, but he and his team went to New York City to do a crusade. And this crusade was supposed to last for like two weeks. And I don't know what you think of when you think of his crusades uh, later in his life, like when you've been born. Um, he did a couple of crusades, and they were like either one day in one big stadium or like two or three days in one big stadium. But that's not what they used to be like. When he went to New York, May 15th, 1957, the plan was to do a, a crusade to last a couple of weeks. And they would meet in Madison Square Garden, which holds about 19,000 people. But on June 3rd, their team got back together to meet. So it's been going on for about two weeks now. June 3rd, they meet again and they decide to extend the crusade all the way to July 20th. So May 15th, all the way to July 20th. And here's why. Every single time they met in Madison Square Garden, which if you don't know what that is, that's where the New York Knicks play, big old basketball arena. Every time they met in there, 19,000 people is its capacity. They were cramming 20,000 plus people in there. There were hundreds, if not thousands of people stuck outside because they couldn't get in. So they're putting speakers outside of the arena for these people to hear. Every time they met, that's what was happening. There were over 100 meetings during this crusade. There's a picture of him meeting with people out on Wall Street. 30,000 people gathered to hear the gospel preached out on Wall Street. And then their last meeting, July 20th, was in Yankee Stadium. Over 100,000 people gathered. And in this time, over 2 million people heard the gospel. Over 65,000 people responded to the gospel, putting their faith in Jesus for the first time ever in their life. This is what Jesus wants to do to his church. Break the nets. Sink the boats in a good way. I just read a couple weeks ago Charles Spurgeon's biography. He lived in the 1800s in, in, in England. Age of 19, he starts preaching at this little Baptist church in London. The church explodes in a good way. It explodes. And they had no room to meet. So they go to, I think it's called Exeter Hall, which held 4,000 people seating room, 1,000 more standing room only. And even then, this 20-year-old preacher, there was not enough room for the people to meet in Exeter Hall. And that was his entire ministry. Never a place large enough 
And it wasn't because of him, it was because of the gospel. People wanted to get in. Their nets were breaking. They were being stretched to their full capacity. The boats were sinking. All of these are examples of that because that's what God wants to do. Not only, though, does God want to do that, he promises to do that. If you look at Matthew 16, 18, he says, I will, that's a promise, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Matthew chapter 9, verse 37 to 38, he says, the harvest is what? It's what? Plentiful. There's a lot of it. And he says, therefore, or he says, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers. Listen to that verse. He says the harvest is plentiful. What that means is if we would simply just listen to what God says and obey what God says, launch out, go deep, drop our nets, we will catch fish. And oftentimes we will catch so much fish, there will be such a huge harvest that one boat won't be able to handle it. Oftentimes we'll catch so many fish that one church won't be able to handle it. But you read on, broken nets and sinking boats wasn't the only result. You look at verse 8, it says, But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I'm a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon and Jesus. Who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on, you'll be catching men. You look at verses 8 through 10. And the result of them launching out into the deep and dropping their nets wasn't just a huge catch, but you see some other things happen I want to show you real quick. The first is this. The result of this was true worship. It says, Peter, he fell down at the knees of Jesus. Like the actual word worship as it's developed in the Old Testament and in the New Testament literally means face or forehead to the dust. And that's because you look, anytime in Scripture somebody encounters God, realizes they're in the presence of God, instinctively what happens is they fall face to the ground. True worship is the result of this. But that's not the only thing. He goes on to say, after he falls to his knees, falls to his face at Jesus' knees, he says, depart from me, for I am a sinful man. Humble conviction is the result of this. Realizing that he in and of himself is not what he thought he was. And, and, and the thing is, when you get close to Jesus, you start to see how big he is, how big God is, and how small you are. Humble conviction is the result. The third thing that happens here is recognizing that Jesus is God. You notice he says, oh, Lord. You back up to the very beginning, what does he call him? He calls him master. He just says, hey, teacher. But he changes here. He says, Lord. He calls him God. And then the fourth thing is, Astonishment. It says, for he and all who were with him were astonished. If we would simply just launch out into the deep and drop our nets for a catch, not only will the church grow, but we will see and we will experience God in ways that we have never seen and experienced God before. You will see and experience God in ways that you've never seen or experienced him before. I want to show you one more thing and then we'll be done. Go back to verse 1. Verse 1, it says, on one occasion, all of this happened on one occasion. In one moment, on one morning or on one afternoon, in one encounter with Jesus, everything changed. I mean, Peter, James, John, they had no idea what was about to happen. All they knew is they just got done fishing. No luck. They're frustrated. They're exhausted. They're, they're, they're hungry. So they've pulled their boats back into land. They're out of the boat. They're trying to clean their nets. And then all of a sudden this guy walks up, says, get back in the boat. Let's go fish again. Catch the biggest catch of their life. And it wasn't because they pursued or sought out Jesus but Jesus, a.k.a. God, came after them. All of this happened on one occasion, and I, I point that out to say this. Maybe tonight is your occasion. See, they weren't expecting it. Maybe you came in here not expecting much, but maybe tonight's your occasion. Maybe tonight Jesus wants to get into your boat, and when Jesus gets into your boat, everything changes. For some of you, Jesus is already in your boat but you're still calling the shots. And tonight he's saying, hey, that needs to change. 
Like, yeah, I'm in your boat, but I'm, I'm saying, hey, let's go out to the deep, and you're saying, hey, let's not. You're still calling the shots, and that needs to change. And so for, for some of you tonight, for the first time, you need to take some steps in your relationship with Jesus that have not been taken yet. For others of you, though, Jesus, he's not yet in your boat. He's standing there saying, hey, can I get in your boat? Waiting for you to say, yeah, get in my boat. See, some of you, Jesus is not part of your life yet. Jesus, you have, you have not encountered Jesus yet. And so for some of you tonight, <clears throat> for the first time ever, you have to put your faith in Christ. Because him getting in your boat, it doesn't just change you know, where you go and all the stuff in this life, but it changes everything. When he gets in your boat, he saves you from hell. You know, it says, he says to them, from now on you're going to be catching men. Catching men from what? Catching people from what? From hell. From death. The result of our sin is death. We're all in this free fall towards hell, waiting, awaiting a collision with hell unless somebody catches us. And that is what Jesus has sent people like you along to do in other people's life. And maybe, for whatever reason, I'm that person for you tonight. Jesus has sent you here and sent me here, or maybe he's used somebody else to get you here, and that person is the one that he sent to catch you tonight, to save you from your free fall into this collision course with hell. The Bible is so clear that our sin leads to death, and that's not what God desires for us. John three sixteen, we all know that, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, so that whoever believes in him won't perish, won't die, but have everlasting life. But we don't know what verse 17 says. See, people get mad when we try to tell them about Jesus. Oh, what are you saying? I'm going to hell? No. Well, yeah, but they get mad thinking that Jesus, you know, we're saying, hey, Jesus wants to send you to hell if you don't, you know, do his thing his way. No, John 3, 17 goes on to say Jesus didn't come into the world to condemn the world, but to save it. He goes on to say, you're already condemned. You already stand condemned without Jesus. That's the whole reason he came. He doesn't want you to be condemned. He's the ultimate guy who catches people and he uses us for some reason, some weird reason. He sends us, because you think about this, go back to the boats, Simon Peter. Jesus could have gone out there and been like, fish, get in the boat. And the fish would have like jumped in the boat. But he didn't do that. You ever think about why? I mean, I don't know the answer. But for some reason, he chose to use Peter, James, and John and their scraggly nets and said, hey, I want you to throw those out, and then you're going to catch the fish. And he's still the one who told the fish to get in the nets, but he used these normal people to be the ones that catch the fish. So for some reason, that's how Jesus works today when it comes to evangelism. He could say, hey, get in the boat. Saved. Boom. Done. You know? But instead, he says, no, I want to use you, and I want to use your nets, the gospel, you sharing the gospel, your measly attempts at sharing the gospel, that's what he says I want to use to catch people and save them from hell. And so all of you are in one of those two situations. Tonight, either you just need to let him call the shots from now on and direct your boat, or others of you, you need to let him get in your boat. Let him catch you from your collision course with hell. Let me pray. Thank you for listening to the Overflow Podcast please feel free to download and share with friends. We ask that you do not alter any of the previous content in any way. For more information about Overflow, feel free to visit us online at overflowdenton.org.